Let's continue to worship our Lord with the Word of God. And today's text uh, for the sermon is taken from James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. If you have a Bible, please turn to it with me right now. And for those of you at home, uh, please do uh, bring your Bible and turn to the page. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. And this is God's Word. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to one to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to the rich in faith, to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall, not, you shall love your neighbour as yourself and you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are, committed by, are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For his who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shown, has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. Let's come to respond in prayer, to ask the Lord to eliminate the word, show us the word, shine the light upon the word with the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father Lord, we come before you in your presence as the congregation gathers and those who are at home. Lord, we do not want to come to you without reverence and awe. In fact, Lord, this is the very moment that you may change our attitudes, change our hearts, and transform our lives. And this may be the very moment that our lives will begin to go on a different trajectory. So, Lord, we do ask of you to help us to pay attention and to do what is necessary that our lives may be transformed. So Lord, we want to come to you right now receiving your word as we will do it in faith 
that, Lord, we will be called your people as the assembly of God. For Christ is our Lord. In Jesus' most mighty name we do pray. Amen. So when I read verse 1, with the phrase, show no partiality, perhaps some of our modern or postmodern years may hear and could have hear, heard this. Show no favoritism, show no discrimination. However, in the text today, James will show that partiality is not simply favoritism or negative discrimination. In fact, they are the results of showing partiality. Showing partiality is a deeper issue and an deep, issue of the heart. Whether you are a believer or not, at home, and if you are watching this, all of us would have faced or are facing this prevalent and common issue, maybe in our school, the workplace, you know, and sometimes uh, you might even find this in churches or church itself. And family, right? As the book of uh, Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, we see this a lot, right? And it caused a lot of problems. Now we have, we face it as one receiving it, right? Some of us. Or we could be the ones showing partiality. Now in any case, showing partiality is especially problematic when one professes to believe in Christ Jesus in the church. Now, in our text today, it is a very serious matter. In fact, in the early days of the church, it's so serious, so much so that James has to point out, he has to confront the believers in the church for showing partiality. Now, we'll do well then to take the issue of showing partiality seriously and self-examine. Accordingly, the big idea of the sermon is that we must examine our faith that shows partiality and let the gospel resolve our sin. And the sermon outline will flow with the text revealing, firstly, the results of showing partiality, secondly, the reasons not to show partiality, and thirdly, the resolution to show no partiality. Now, before we dive into, uh, into the deep end of the sermon, we should arrive at, you know, to a common understanding of what showing partiality means. Now, verse 1 introduced the phrase, show no partiality. The Greek word, right, or the word in Greek, is a compound word, prosopolemshire, right, prosopolemshire, formed from two words, prosopon which is face, and labano, which is receive. Now, you put them together, it's a compound word. It literally means to receive someone according to their face. All right? If that sounds strange to you, I think perhaps some of you are getting the idea already. So, prosopolepsia is a descriptive word for showing partiality. It is most likely a Jewish saying, saying or an idiom. It's translated into kind of uh, 
into the Greek, right? And it describes the essence of judging based on the external ex- uh, appearance of somebody. In other words, showing partiality in definition here is judging the value of a person based on the external. Right? I say again, showing partiality is judging the value, the dignity of a person based on the external. A closer rendering to the Jewish Greco idiom in English should be this way. Right? It should be literally this way. Receiving a person at face value. Right? Receiving a person at face value. Now, if you are a Jew, right, if you are a Jew, when you read or hear verse 1, the receiving, the look on the face, prosopon, right? Doxa, the lot of uh, glory, that would have jolted your memory to recall the shining and glowing face of Moses reflecting the glory of God after he has seen God's glory at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 34. That was when Moses has received the tablets of the law, of the Ten Commandments from God. Right? However, it was a fading glory on the face, the external face of Moses, that he has to veil himself each time right? uh, after he comes down from Mount Sinai. And that points actually to the eternal glory of the face of Christ after he is resurrected. In that case, verse 1, positively, James would be urging us to receive the eternal and shining glory of Christ, alright? Rather than the temporal face value of man. To be sure, verse 1 reveals that showing partiality is incompatible, incompatible with the faith in Jesus Christ. And verses 2 to 4 further elaborates the results of showing partiality. Now, there are two results or symptoms, if you will, of showing partiality. The symptoms are favoritism and discrimination. Verses 2 and 3 illustrates the first result of showing partiality, favoritism. Two persons came into the congregation of the church. They were contrasted at face value, literally, by observing their externals. So on the outside, one person is literally gold-fingered. Right? Gold-fingered. He's over the trans- English translation is... Uh, you know, he wears a, a ring of gold, but really in the Greek language uh, is gold fingered. All right, means wearing a lot of gold, gold rings. All right, and wearing very luxurious, fine clothing. So it's not just fine clothing like right now you're here. It's really luxurious, fine clothing. So the other person does not wear any accessories at all. Got no rings, got no chain, got no nothing. All right, and he is wearing just what it says, a shabby, right? A shabby cloth or clothing. That's all he has. Probably is a one-piece, right? That's probably it. It's not a two-piece, three-piece. The, the man who is with gold-fingered, right? Got accessories, full of accessories, a lot of extras, 
probably wear a lot of layers of clothing, but the, the other person got nothing, nothing extra, wearing probably a one-piece shabby clothing. That's the contrast. Now here again, as in verse 10, right, in chapter 1, all right, uh, in a previous sermon, uh, the contrast is not merely just about comparing the material wealth of two persons. More than simply saying uh, who is richer or who is poorer materially, the context of James points the text to carry the sense that the man wearing the gold rings or gold-fingered right, is most likely very influential and very powerful, while the other is not. All right? So he has this sense. So, again, Singaporeans, right, you might not think that you are rich. All right? A lot of us say that we are not rich. But certainly, right, somehow, in where you are, either your family, your school, your jobs, you have influence. And sometimes, informally powerful, all right, I would say. Now, I have fleshed out the details of who this lowly poor person or the rich in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, again, in my previous sermon, uh, advances in the trial. So you can refer to that again and uh, come to that conclusion as well. So the rich person is the influential man. He is given a good seat, right? while the man or the poor man is not. And the less influential poor man remains standing in the assembly for worship. To highlight the point that the poor man is seen as low class, low status, James doubles down with the phrase, sit down at my feet. Now, for the Jewish people to hear this, feet uh, is low already, very low, like, Jesus washed the feet, right? It's a portrayal of a despise, all right? Uh, a a, a condes condescending kind of tone going on. So the poor here are not just being looked down upon in material, but humiliated and despised in terms of status. To be sure, James is not against the rich or people having wealth. But his point is that God is against those who operate favoritism in the house of God, especially in the house of God. Favoritism is, listen, favoritism is passing judgment by valuing more of a person than another person based on comparison of the externals only or the external appearances. And faith in Christ doesn't have a place for favoritism by valuing people more or less than how God values and dignifies each person created in His image. Point over, the, a point over, uh, often overlooked here is that favoritism is the first result of showing partiality. Inevitably, favoritism, comparing one influential or wealthy person to another of a lesser, favoritism will lead to negative discrimination. Negative discrimination. To be sure, again, not all discrimination is negative. 
We all need to make positive discrimination to live well. If we attempt to consistently live indiscriminately, we will put rubbish into our mouths and gather junk in our lives. For example, we have to discriminate and make a distinction and value less of, let's say, the spoiled food right, that is left two days. In Singapore, two days is gone already on the table. In Florida, perhaps we can still leave it like two, three days. Maybe it's still okay. But we have to value less spoiled food versus, say, freshly cooked food. Value less of a 10-year-old laptop than, say, a new laptop so that we don't get the junk. You see, especially for believers in faith, we have to, we have to positively discriminate against evil thoughts and actions. All right? We have to make a difference for the spiritual and the godly sense to surface, to speak to our hearts what is written in the Bible. Now, we are often mistaken that discrimination is all bad. That is monolithic, that is monolens seeing things that we say, oh, discrimination is all bad. That's the language now the world wants us to believe. In fact, the world worked very hard to make every discrimination a negative one because the world wants to blur or even remove the moral line to make every evil permissible indiscriminately without any discrimination. The grand agenda of the world is to say that no one is able to tell another what is right or wrong, what makes it, and, and, and which makes it very hard then to discriminate evil. This is in order, again, to per permit and carry out their own evil devices. For example, the world supposes that sex is all good, even outside of marriage, outside the creation mandate, and outside the order of the relationships between a man and a woman. And somehow, that has slipped into many churches right, around the world when we do not positively discriminate those who are consistently sinning against God. Accordingly, the rightful church of God with membership, cannot be indiscriminate when it comes to church discipline. Are you finding it hard to exercise positive discrimination against evil? Perhaps here and the following text of the sermon may help you better understand. For this reason, I need to specifically say it is the negative discrimination in verse 4 that James is warning us. And that is the first result of showing partiality. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, that is, okay, so this is the second result of showing partiality, which is the negative di discrimination. James put it as a rhetorical question, and his point is, it is evil it is evil in making distinctions and passing judgment value less of a person when compared to oneself. 
So those are evil thoughts when, 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 when you think of less of a person from the heart. Because thinking less of a man is thinking less of God. Especially when we say it like we meant it, to devalue a, a personhood, uh, comparing with animals. Uh, for example, we say I mean, you, know, you are a pig. You are a rat. You scumbag. You are a worm. Or you devalue a personhood by comparing with a thing. You trash. You are trash. You are a garbage bean. Heard that in school? No? From friends? Okay. This is the first time you're hearing this. Huh? Pretty good. Okay. You have a good community. Okay. God bless you. So, you see, all men are the creation of God. He has revealed His precious and sometimes even mind-boggling truth to us that according to the book of Genesis, He clearly says that Adam is created in His image. And so, every person on earth are God's image bearers. There is a sense that man or woman reflects the dignity of God. And so, we are not to devalue anyone, even we are not to devalue anyone, even the government officials. Right? You can think of this country or the other countries. We are not to devalue them because they are God's image bearers. So we'll do well to think twice about posting something that may negatively discriminate, make a negative distinction to devalue someone on social media or in our interactions. Again, negative di discrimination is valuing someone right? Lower than ourselves. Favoritism, on the other hand, is valuing someone more than another person. And therefore, you will put out and value less of another person when you compare two persons. So, favoritism is comparing two persons. You up one person and down one person. Discrimination is simply comparing the person and yourself and you down value that person. All right? So this is the result of showing partiality. Again, faith in Christ doesn't have a place for favoritism by, com by comparison to uh, getting a social uh, leverage or discrimination against people by valuing them less than how God values and dignifies each person created in His image. Showing partiality is judging the value of a person based on the externals. Showing partiality reveals a superficial faith that points to a spiritual issue and sin. Accordingly, James gives the deeper and spiritual significance and the reasons not to show partiality. So there are three reasons not to show partiality. The first reason is not to, uh, not to show partiality is that God has discriminately chosen to save His people indiscriminately, right? In verse 5. God does a positive, uh, 
positive discrimin uh, this does positively discriminate and choose those who repent, right? Uh, and those who do not. And he chose some to inherit his kingdom and some do not. So at the same time, he is indiscriminate in the sense that he saves both, right? The rich or the poor in the world. So all are equal as sinners. However, for those who are poor in the world, God does discriminately make them rich in faith. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, Jesus begins with, Blasted are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he reveals the good news and the gospel truth in verse, uh, in the seven or eight blessedness of the Beatitudes that God blesses the seemingly poor and weak in the world to be heirs of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed the meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker. And blessed are those who were persecuted. So church and friends, are you feeling poor, weak, and helpless today. If you believe in Christ Jesus, He blesses you and confirms that you will share His kingdom forever. Now, partially and completely when He returns. God has chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith. In other words, the Holy Spirit goes deeper than the world. God is not superficial. The Holy Spirit is not so superficial. And so, our faith must not be skin deep. We are to allow the gospel, the good news of the death and resurrection power of Christ to penetrate our externals into our hearts. So, why? so the question for us is, what might be the internals that we are holding up the externals that says, I'm okay. And when you say, I'm okay, might prevent us from receiving God's mercy. The second reason not to show partiality is that you would become an abuser of power like the influential people who have abused you when you humiliate the poor. Now, James reminds the believers of a court scene, right? Of the influential people uh, doing legal proceeding to prosecute the believers. They make falsehood against the faith, dishonor and humiliated believers and the honorable name of the faith. And here, the honorable name would point to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the honorable name. So when a believer shows partiality, he dishonors and humiliates another person. The believer becomes like the abuser, abusing the name of Christ Jesus. And the third reason not to show partiality is a believer might be breaking the covenant with God. In fact, James 
put out a very direct point, and he points out this, that showing partiality is sinning in verse 9. There's no other way to put it. He say that if you show partiality, you're sinning in verse 9. The believer is breaking the royal, all right? royal as in the supreme law, all right? loyal law, the supreme law of love your neighbor as yourself. This is very likely. It comes from Leviticus. 1918. If you look at the entire 1918, right, again, it states out all the Ten Commandments in various forms, but it goes deeper, right? It goes into deeper and it goes into many, many other things. But one thing, right, that Jesus say, and then in Romans 13, 9, just now you have heard, that if you break one law, you actually break the all of it. So that's why Jesus says, right, and Paul says, in the end, if you keep the second commandment, which is love your neighbor, right, you will keep all the rest of the law. In fact, if you keep the first commandment, you'll keep all the rest of the commandment. Right? So that is uh, the seriousness of showing partiality. So if you show partiality, basically you are breaking one of the law and you are breaking all the rest. And that's why he referred to love your neighbor as yourself. All right? And from verse 8 to 11 are the echoes of both the Old Testament laws of God and what Jesus says about the second greatest commandment. And this is in, uh, Jesus said that in Mark chapter 12. All right? Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Mark chapter 12, verse 31 says this Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than this. Here, James, uh, as a Christian who was a Jew, he deliberately shows the beauty and the connection the con and the continuation of God's covenant uh, and His promises flowing from Old Testament uh, Israel to the New Testament church. And here is a very fascinating fact. The letter of James would most likely be written earlier than the books of the four gospels. And Mark could be, the, you know, could be one of the first gospels that, uh, in fact, the synoptic gospel, after analyzing and everything, right, uh, of all the gospels, Mark should be the first one. And if that is true, over here, James as one of, in fact, the first letter, right, that they receive uh, from the elder of the church will have echoed the very words of Jesus himself. You see the significance here? And this is the thing. Do you hear Jesus' words speaking to you and even confronting you in the sermons? The question for all of us is, even at home, what will be stopping you from hearing Jesus' voice in the sermons? Love your neighbour as yourself, brothers and sisters. A point often, often overlooked is that breaking one law against breaks all laws. And more than that, we will be breaking the covenant with Christ. Which James warns that we would be reflecting an unreal faith in Jesus. So broadly speaking, James is pointing out a most serious tendency of believers here that we tend to choose to use parts of the Bibles to justify and benefit ourselves while ignoring the rest 
that confronts our very sins. Dear brothers and sisters, that is unwise and even immature without consistently allowing the whole counsel of God to speak into all areas of our beliefs and lives. Now, with James' three reasons not to show partiality, shouldn't we all examine our faith showing partiality every now and then? However, may I urge all of us again, don't stay at the intellectual examination in our minds. After examining our faith, showing partiality, we must let the good news, the gospel, resolve our sin in our hearts. And for this reason, James points to us the resolutions to show no partiality in verses 12 and 13. There are two resolutions. The first resolution is to make the firm decision. And the second resolution is the action of solving right, this issue, all right, the action itself. So first resolution, make a firm decision. Second is to basically act on it. So the first resolution in verse 12, James urges and instructs the believers to make a firm decision to speak and act consistently with the justification in Christ. The justification in Christ of all the believers is stated as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So to be clear and to be very, very uh, sure here, Christians will be judged in the end. Alright? Christians will be judged and in the end. But it's the covenant of God with Christ in His covenant of redemption and God's law which is broken by man in his sin is paid by Christ. So God and Christ in His covenant of redemption has agreed to pay for our sins. And the liberty that the believers have is the freedom from the slavery of sin because Christ willingly agrees with God to pay for the sins of the believers. So, it's not like some of the hearsay in the Christian circle that Jesus, like, oh, dragged himself to the cross and everything. It's not. Humanly, yes. But in divine, he already agreed to pay for us. So he willingly went to the cross. So the believer lives are free to flourish insofar as they operate within the boundaries of the design of God's covenant with Christ and man. For example, now some of you grow plants. I know a lot of you have one kind of I know a lot of you have one animal in your home at least, <laughs> right? And those of you at home. But some of you, now a lot of you grow plants, right? Uh, because we're all staying indoor, then I can see my neighborhood who are all sprawling with uh, pots of plants everywhere, you know? And uh, growing plants. For the plant to flourish, the plant must, uh, must be put, you know, must be put within the, you know, must be, must be uh, potted within a certain size, right? 
and to take in the right amount of water and so on and so forth. In fact, one auntie told me the common mistake about uh, you know, planting in Singapore or gardening in Singapore is to put too much water and then uh, the, 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 the root of the plant will die, right? And so we found out as well. So, so that's, that's, that's the thing. Uh, so there are boundaries uh, to be applied in the plant. You have to pot them you know, with, at the, at the, with the right size, at the right time, right amount of water, and so on and so forth. Right? All these boundaries are for the plant to grow. Now, also boundaries have to be applied to a running toddler. Right? It's, it's to help and protect the toddler to grow rather than harm. You know, right? Yeah. To be sure, I'm not implying that we are intellectually incapable. However, spiritually, we need to be taught and reminded to live within God's design and promises of the gospel so that we can be all free from sins and flourish accordingly, like the plant or like the toddler we have there and at home as well, all right? So in our text today, God instructs us to show no partiality in order to push back our sins, to broaden our boundaries. Picture this, if, if God is the gardener, then we are the plants. We could be transplanted to a larger pot to grow more freely, to become healthier and a taller tree as we grow in His design, in His boundary. We are free to do that. So that's the law of liberty. For this reason, in the first resolution, the believers are to make a firm decision to speak and act consistently with the justification in Christ. Then the second resolution, to show no, uh, the second resolution to show no partiality is to let the good news of Christ bring the hammer down in our hearts with, it, with this issue. So we need to check, examine ourselves. If our judgment on others have the mercy of the gospel in view. Then you may ask, where are the gospel truths and, and, and the good news of Christ in verse 13? It is in the last part of the verse, of verse 13. It says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Many have mistaken this or taken this last statement totally out of context. We tell others that, in this sense, huh, man's mercy triumphs over man's judgment, which is totally meaningless. When we tell other people, mercy triumphs over judgment, man's mercy, man's judgment is totally meaningless. The statement does not point us, uh, which is meaningless because no man's mercy and judgment is perfect. So the statement here does not point to man's mercy, but it points us to God's mercy. It is the mercy of Christ Jesus that wins at the end of the day. So in this case, when we rightly receive the mercy of Christ, then we can show others mercy. To be sure, showing mercy is the better way when both the opportunities for judgment and mercy presents themselves. 
So before I end this, do you see the whole picture here from chapter 2, verse 1 to 13? The whole sin has it rooted actually in the Old Testament of the law. That's why he brought out all the law. So showing partiality is not just at face value. Deep in the heart, it is a judgment. It's a judgment against people. Whether you value them high, higher to leverage on them or you value them lower, again, to lift ourselves up. So the whole context here is really about us showing partiality in the way that we judge people, valuing people lower most of the time. Again, the results are either favoritism or discrimination. So verses 13 and 12, uh, a better rendering from the Greek uh, to English actually has, has a better sense. Uh, the New Living Translation Bible would have a better sense of actually what verse 12 and verse 13 is. And I'll read to you to conclude this. Verse 12 and 13 in the New Living Translation Bible, it reads, So whatever you say or whatever you do, Remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. In that case, we must examine our beliefs or faith that shows partiality and let the gospel, the good news, and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ resolve our sin. So this is the preached word of God.